Congratulations. So let me pray and we'll get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessings of children in our lives. And Lord, help us to always see that as a best blessing and always see that as an opportunity for us to, um, to teach them of you and how much you love us. Give us wisdom in that endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I thought I'd have Drew in here, but I realized that since Pastor Marshall's gone, Drew's doing another one. If you were here last week, any questions about what he laid out? Because I asked him to present what has happened in our family many, many times, which is you have children growing up in a Christian environment, and some of them come to Christ early, and then there's, well, did I really know what I was doing when I was young? Um, and that whole thing of how do you discern when a child really has accepted Christ and that change has happened. Did that, any questions coming from that before we go on? It's kind of a, a different set than the other stuff we've been talking about. I have a question. How would you describe um, fruit inspecting? How would I describe fruit inspecting? Because of, I've, I've obviously never experienced it um, with regards to having children, but as a pastor, um, I think that was something that started to stand up, and that was there's so much commonality with raising your children, and then you have an outside perspective looking at it, and I think there is a difficulty in this one area of fruit inspecting your own children. Thoughts on that? I've seen a big difference in our kids' behavior at home. You know, they tend to behave better outside the home than they do at home, but, uh, you know, like the week of you know, one of them getting saved, we've seen, you know, an ongoing difference. It's not like, you know, they become angels, but like 50% better in a week or something. I would agree with that. For, I mean, I've, I've only experienced it with one of my kids, but it was like night and day, and it literally seemed like it was overnight. Yeah, I've always heard it said that, you know, we have the scripture admonition of 30%, 60%, you know, um, you see something. So for, that's why I posed the question. For, for me, although actions oftentimes did what you're talking about, their sensitivity to, to when they did wrong is very, very different. The repentance versus the got sorry caught. I got caught was, was a huge difference for us. And the true sorrow and really not wanting to do that, whatever the sin was, you know, real, I don't want to be like that. Or coming that changed. to me on my, like, like something happened yesterday and he came to me on his own. Like I didn't even say anything about it and he came to me on his own. Interesting. So you would, so in general you would say... There is a noticeable um, change. I think so. Even I think even at the young age, for a child who came to Christ at, at four or five, and really did, there's a noticeable change. So then, I guess the other side of my mind goes to, okay, then what if you don't see any change? Do you? Do you? I, I I'm just assuming you would constantly strive to be the example in front of them regardless, change or no change. Yes. Is and that a good way of thinking about it? 
as far as our responsibility absolutely yeah, yeah you can't you can't force a child to oh, I you know it's, it's got to be god at, and, and sometimes like we had one that was saved and and he kind of i i share this in my testimony it was similar to my experience that i really trusted in christ as my savior as a really young child but it took me about a decade to understand and grasp his lordship he was lord when i got saved but i didn't acknowledge his lordship for about 10 years and that takes a while for some kids too and that takes prayer and god getting a hold of their hearts and we're really getting into that today about how you analyze where your child is spiritually and a lot of it's just a waiting on God yeah I, I, having you know been a pastor there's a difference between how pastors seem to think about the raising of their children and then the, 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 the members within the congregation I don't know if you know that but this is from my experience with conversations with them especially the ones whose children do not exhibit any salvation after 18 years of patterning in front of them. Um, and so that's part of the reason I asked this question. Because when I travel as an evangelist now, uh, if the parents have children, uh, it comes up a lot, which is why I'm in here. Uh, because I'm trying to find ways to minister to that better. I think I think pastors have an interesting additional challenge in life because everybody's watching their family. The, the kids get that at a fairly young age. They understand that. And we talked about when we first started this class that ultimately at the end of it all, the child as an adult is responsible for themselves. And, and will they submit to God's call or not? Um, so yes, we reflect. We, we live it in front of our kids, but at the end of the day, they stand before God on their own. Yeah, I think a primary point that many of the men that I've talked to, and some of their wives, has been that particular aspect, that this child is a gift from God. So I am not, to, to try to take away the pain, I guess what is why I hear it, that hey, it's also a truth, hey, they're gifts from the Lord. And we're going to try to be the best example in front of them, but ultimately, they're accountable. And I, again, I, I haven't been the pastor with kids, but I feel for them because my best example is soccer was my game in, in, in high school and up through high school. And occasionally, one of the coaches had a son on the team, and I saw that done well, and I saw that done bad. Um, and I think the same challenge can be for pastors' kids that they're still kids, just like everybody else on the soccer team. But I saw some coaches that did it really well and treated them like everybody else, and some where the standard was so high there was no way they could ever yeah. attain the standard. But the standard was not applied to the other kids on the team. And, and that always led to a real challenge in their relationship. So... Any other questions before we jump in? Just one more thing that when you're talking to ministers and their wives, I know I grew up, my dad was a music minister and pastor many times off and on. And um, the challenge for him and I think for all those in full-time ministry is you're so focused on your flock and making sure that they 
are, are growing and where they need to be spiritually, sometimes it's easy to to put your family on the back burner, and you know that that's just reverse from how God wants us to do it. The family, you know, got to make that a priority. And that can be done in the, the the secular world as well. I remember my mom saying to my dad one time he had a meeting. He was he had to be at church. He was there was a meeting. It was a church meeting, and my brother. I only have one brother. And he's a dad of eight now doing great. He's in the ministry. But at that time, in his teen years, things were kind of falling apart. And my mom looked at my dad and said, we are losing our son. You need to stay home. And he missed that very important meeting. And that spoke volumes, I think, to my brother that, that you know, daddy was willing to miss the church meeting because he needed help. So. Okay, <clears throat> Um, Eric brought this one up. If you're interested, it's Parenting with Scripture. And it's by Cara, I think, Cara Durbin. Um, a lot of graduates, at least in my circles, will get a God's Promises book, which is a, a basically topical when you're struggling with and then all the things you can struggle with. And then here's all the, the scriptures that deal with that. This one goes through what about kindness, what about guilt, hate, future, a very similar construct. So if you want to see what that's like, you can take a look at that afterwards. Um, so real quick, where are we? We're two Sundays left after this one. So the next two coming Sundays will be the glorious teenage years. I don't know if I'm going to let you come to that one or not. We'll see. Um, so this, this week is really how do you put into play what we talked about. What uh, We weren't here this week, so two weeks ago. We talked about the, the childhood age, so from five or six up to puberty. So we talked about what are you trying to do during that time frame. So, um, so a real quick, quick recap. Um, there's growing independence with that child. There's more time away from the parents. They're going to be confronted with experiences the parents can't witness or can't adjudicate because they aren't there when it happens, when it goes down. Um, they don't need us every hour of the day anymore. They're beginning to do things without us around. Um, assuming we've laid down a strong foundation up through age five, hopefully as the child goes into this area, this, this stage of life, they see themselves as a creature made by God for God, that they're responsible ultimately to him. They understand authority. They obey without challenge, excuse, or delay. But there is an appeal process we talked about. An appeal process is best done while they're in the act of obeying, they can make the appeal, not turn that into negotiation. Um, we talked about character development, dependability, honesty, kindness, consideration. I won't read through the whole list. And that the conscience, the conscience is how, is, is what God's put inside everyone to, the conscience, if, if we activate that incorrectly, that can work against us as well. There's the, the overactive conscience, I never can do anything right, I'm just, I, I give up. And then there's the Pharisaic, the Pharisaical. I've done A, B, C, D, E, F, G, therefore I am right. And that's that's not really what we're after. We're going to go deeper into the conscience today. Um, so again, beware the Pharisee. Beware setting down all the rules. Therefore, the child executes the rules. Therefore, everyone else is dirt, and 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 I'm great. And what you've done when you create a Pharisee is you created someone who doesn't need God, because I I can do all the rules. Remember the rich young ruler. I've done all that, God. What else do I need to do? And Jesus didn't, didn't challenge that he hadn't done it. He took them to a different place. Um, so what are the three things we're working on during this time frame? 
uh, as far as relationships go? Their relationship with God, do they understand, do they have a conscious understanding that they need God and they need a personal uh, relationship with him? What do they understand about themselves, um, their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, how they approach things, and then others? Um, how, how is their relationship with others? Are they pleasant to be with? How do they deal with disappointment? Um, are they always wanting to be in charge or in control instead of meeting the needs around them? So today, so that was a quick, that was, that was last week, which actually is two, two weeks ago. So today we want to get into what are we really after in this stage of life, and it's addressing the heart. Um, behavior is a manifestation of what's going on inside. Can you look up Luke 6, 45 for me? Sorry, I should give you a heads up on that. So anything that's going on externally is a reflection of what's going on internally. You read it? Yep. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So what do we want to do? And Again, if you haven't read the book, we're in chapter 17 this week. It's a really good chapter. I almost want to just read the chapter to you while we're here. I'm not going to do that. But I did want to read this one section, Appealing to the Conscience. If you wish to deal with character and not just behavior, you have to deal with the child in a deep way that enables him or her to see the implications of his behavior and to indict himself. You want to get to where it's not that the parent has to come and indict the child, that the child figures out, you know, I did that one wrong, that you are able to internalize that, that they understand that it's not I'm obeying mom or dad, it's I'm obeying God, I'm held to his standard. Even if I meet mom and dad's standard, I have still not met God's standard. And in doing so, there's that need for a savior. If, if, he, if they just manage to meet my standard, then they don't need God. Because I've, I've done everything you told me to do. There's nothing that I'm lacking. Um, and, and how did Christ do this? And there's a couple of good examples of this that I want to kind of walk through and that I really am going to spend a lot of time with table topics today. So in Luke 10, when, um, when Christ was dealing with the guy who, who, who came up and said, well, who's my neighbor? You know, I know what the scriptures say about what I have to do with my neighbor, but God, who's my neighbor? So Jesus told him the story of the Ten Commandments. Uh, not, not the Ten Commandments. On Pacific time, um, told him the story of the Good Samaritan. So he told him the whole story. Did he tell him the answer? Did he tell him the point? After he told the whole story, he said, okay, so who was the neighbor? So the person had to internalize that story and go, well, the neighbor was really the Samaritan, which was very distasteful for a Jew to say at that point in time. Another good example here is in Matthew um, 18.21. How often do I have to forgive? And the answer was seven times 70. And a lot of times when, when that one's taught, you don't see what came right after that. What comes right after that in the scripture is the story of the servant who had this debt that he could not possibly repay. And the master said, okay, I'm going to off with you and your family. And he, and he begged forgiveness and he was granted forgiveness. And then that's the guy who went out 
found someone who owed him a little bit of money, threw him in jail, said, you aren't getting out, your family's in jail. No, nobody gets out until I get every last dime paid. And so he, he went deeper into that story about, and, and then again, he turned that to the person who, who, who he was talking to and said, um, sorry, I really should have stopped more. Can you look up Matthew 18, 21? Because I, I think at the end of that, he also challenged the individual he was telling the story to. Yeah. Um, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Where are you? Yep, the... So I don't think he really did. He, he didn't really go back that time. He said, the, the one coming up is the one I was thinking about. So he, there he laid out seven times 70, but then he gave an example of what that really looked like. The other one is in Luke 7. Um, and in this one, uh, this was a point where a woman who obviously had led a life of sin was, was washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And Simon, in his mind, was going, obviously Christ doesn't know who this person is. How could this be a just man if he lets someone like this come and, and do this? And so this is when Christ, knowing what he was thinking, um, told him a parable of, again, it was similar to that one, two, two people owed a great debt, and they were both forgiven. Who loves the most? And then he had the Pharisee respond, well, I guess the one who was forgiven most. And he said, you've responded correctly. So again, Christ pulled them in. A lot of his parables were to pull these people in and say, now what do you think? And force them to come to, oh, well, okay, here's the answer. And I think that's what we have to do a lot of times with children in this age span is not just here's the answer, here's why you're doing it, and I'm boss. But how do you internalize it to where they begin to, without you being around, know that, well, here's what God would have me do. More so than here's what mom and dad would have me do. Um, hopefully those are in alignment that what God would have you do is what mom or dad would have you do. Um, but bringing them into it, not just here's the lecture and here are the orders, but here's why. Can I say something? Yeah. I, having started our family with two boys, I, I was, and I was an oldest child, so I was already Miss Bossy Pants from the get-go, but realizing that a lecture is not usually the best way to do it, and I, that was my go-to method. <laughs> Let me talk to you for a few minutes. And you could just see their eyes glaze over. But if you ask them questions, just like in counseling we're taught, ask the person questions, get them to um, figure out internally what's going on and put it into words, and it helps the child to verbalize what's going on. And a lot of, like, I, I think every time my children first... Um, tried lying for instance that's the first time they heard the story of the boy who cried wolf because it gives them an example of why it's necessary to build trust not just to mom and dad but to people that you know you want to be a trustworthy person that kind of thing it's just so much more effective than than the lecture method particularly with boys somehow it seemed like in our family right Ryan? with all of them um, so I want to read a couple <clears throat> snippets out of this chapter and, and then we'll go to the examples but again, this is based on um, 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. So the conscience, even in and of itself, is not a true compass. But it's there, and we can activate it through God's scripture to do the right thing. So a couple things in here under developing character. You cannot with integrity tell your child if he tries hard enough, if he's good enough, if he really wants it, he can be what God has called him to be. He can't. I can't. It's not native to me apart from God's grace and enablement, and that's the key, that they need to see. I can't do what the scriptures tell me to do without God's enablement to help me do that. Now, I should be wholeheartedly before him wanting to obey him, but I can't do that without his empowering in my life. Um, A couple other thoughts. Teaching dependability. Is that an event? Ryan, is that an event, just to put you on the spot? It's a process. It's a training. Um, Ms. Lauren, yeah, you guys are at different tables. You got me messed up. Uh, One of my pet peeves is... Um, why is why is your dish still on the table and you're not here anymore? So again, it's a process. It's it's a learning. Um, early one is yes, ma'am, yes, sir. That's just a rule in our house. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Does that happen overnight? No, that happens over like three or four years before they're actually There's doing seven. it regularly. Um, so again, that whole challenge of we can't set a life before our children that doesn't require faith. To do what you need to do requires God living in you to execute what you need to do. You don't have it in and of yourself. Um, so we're really turning them towards the need for Christ and for the cross. Um, jumping to what Skip said a little bit earlier around living an example. One thing I think that's really important is that as the children get older, sometime before they, they hit the teens, most of them are going to figure out that, that, that they got here through a process that they never would have imagined and that there is a romantic relationship in their house. But what they'll see around them in the, in the world, they need to see that right relationship and how that works and that affection and all of that can be done right and properly. Um, as they're getting into those older children ages, Proverbs is a great place to hang out and learn the pros and cons of the, the blessings that come with obedience and the pains that come with doing what God's given us in the wrong way. Um, and again, we should, as parents, we should live that example out in front of them, that there is a loving relationship that there are intimate relationships, and God's blessed that and created that. And the world, the world will take that and go a very different way. And so that example that they can see in their lives, in their household, should be something that they can play against a world that does that in completely different ways. Um, then the challenge, I think, for all of us, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go to the examples after this one. Parents tend to see their children's behavior in very naive terms. We see the fight over a toy toy as simply a fight over a toy. 
And it's not. It's actually a failure to prefer others. It's selfishness. It's saying to others, I don't care what your wishes are. I want what I want. It's a determination to live in a world that exploits every opportunity to serve oneself. Um, and then the challenge of that is, because that's true, that's accurate. The challenge is how then do you not make sure you do the balance that they don't become the doormat for the world and have fun with figuring out that balance. I'm still working on that balance. So what I want to do now, and I think we have tables full enough to do this, I want to throw out a couple different examples. So um, as I go through these, they aren't examples, they're um, scenarios, I'm going to read through like three of them and then put them out to your table. Pick whichever one is hot in your mind. What would you do? Here's, here's the situation. What are you going to do with it? And how are you going to do it? How are you going to help that child see beyond themselves, beyond their own desires and needs? Or how are you protecting and helping mold that child toward that direction? So three things. One, you got an issue with they're, they're kind of they're spending a lot of time around people you'd rather them not spend time around. Their choice, their close group of friends are people you'd rather them not be close friends with. Okay, so wrong friends is scenario number one. Sibling rivalry, rivalry or war, whether, whether it's subtle or outright in the face. It exists. If you have two children, it exists. Um, the rule in, in my household, as when I was a child, was it could never be physical. But, oh my goodness, it was, it was there. It was who could you set up to look like the worst sinner possible when the parents walked through the door. And if you set the other sibling up properly, that was success. That's what Charles's goal was. Yes, that was my goal. I was not saved at the time. Um, or they're self-centered. So it's all about why can't I be on my Xbox for 23 and a half hours of the day? Whatever, plug it in. Um, so those are the three. Um, wrong friends, sibling, sibling rivalry. I, I, <laughs> Eric, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to sing today. Um or addressing self-centeredness. So what I want you to do is take like seven minutes-ish at your table. And, and if, if there's two topics at your table that different folks want to go after, fine. But circle up, discuss which one you want to talk about. What would you do? What are you going to do if you have a child who's got the wrong set of friends? What are you going to do if you have either a subtle war or an outright battle going on between the kids? Not Not... Not a battle, but a war. You know, all of the battles put together, and it's keeping on going. Um, or that last one, which is self-centered. Do you, are you guys good on your own, or do you want to come join this table? I'll leave it up to you. Okay, so seven minutes. Do you need me to say them one more time? Because I know I didn't write them down and put them in front of you. There's war in the house. They're self-centered, or they're running with the wrong path. I get the stairs.
in the glass in room today. <laughs> okay, take about a minute to wrap up. Yeah. 
look at her. Okay, 15 seconds. You should let us have it through at the 35 mark, should we? <clears throat> okay, let's see what you guys uh, are dealing with and, and how you came up with it. So, anybody want to go first at any table before I just go table by table by table? What topic did you pick? What did you talk about? Matt, thank you. We kind of discussed sibling rivalry and selfishness with the, the two, because in our discussion, they kind of went together um, from a lot of our experiences. If they're, if, they're ri if they're being rivals, they're wanting, each child wants to appear better to either their parents or other siblings. Um, and that's kind of the intrinsic thing is selfishness. Uh, sometimes how you deal with the symptoms, so to speak, could be different. Um, like if one is thinking things are not fair, they've been wrong to that other sibling, and they're just gonna hang on to it and hold on to it, you have to deal with that. And by trying to point out, say, what they were able to do that the other person didn't do, how, you know, there's, not everyone's gonna have the exact same privileges or gifts, but they're all being um, incorporated into some different way. Uh, other times you have to deal with attitude that may stem from that say you have a rivalry where one person you know, is made to look like the dummy in front of everybody else and now they have a bad attitude and it comes out and slamming things or talking back, you know, dealing with those different symptoms. Um, you have to deal with the selfishness, the anger, kind of break it down to what this particular outcome is, even though it's a symptom of a broader problem, deal with the, the specific issue. So I, what I keyed in on was that the whole key of sibling rivalry is selfishness. Yes. And, and how do you help them see that? Um, don't these we'll, things we'll always see. happen when you're trying to go out the door? We don't have time to break it down and talk through it. It's like, we've got to get in the car. Or it happens in public where it's a little <laughs> yes. challenging. To, so we'll see how my sleepy kids, what, what's the key item in our house between siblings? What are you going to hear if things aren't going right? Seek peace and pursue it. Good. Hey. <laughs> Which is not is it, it that sounds like oh we just snap it off like that. No, that that those are longer conversations at the beginning. And it's a reminder as the years go by. Um, other tables. What did you go after? Same topic. Um, having kids, uh, teenagers. Uh, we didn't see as much when they were younger, but um, and it's not about show better than the other. It's about selfishness with each other. Amongst them, you know, selfish, that's all it is. It's not who can, from what we see. And, um, you know, when they they get into their battles or whatever, we go aside and find out what it is and why and why shouldn't you do that? And what is the outcome? Um, that is, uh, it's, that's a, a struggle. It's, it's, it's not something that, um, Stay firm on
one of the things that um, we try to do at home when they get in this is pray for one another and thank God for each other. So, or separation. So usually they end up getting back together in a friendly way. So, um, but it's it's getting getting harder now because the princess wants to be a queen. <laughs> I'm sure the I'm sure the I'm sure the prince that wants a kingdom too. Yes. Well, he's like the kingdom now that the princess has grown up and sees that she can have that crown. Guess what? That's where I I remember the day that I threw off the shackles of my older sister's physical ability to control me. <laughs> it became a whole new game. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked a whole bunch of times up here around beware the Pharisee, and I was just kind of hit to the quick, even as we went through this. On my four-hour flight last night, there was a pack of kids I'm glad I'm never going to be the parent of. And that whole flight, I was going, oh my goodness, can't you control this group? Because they were old enough to be, I'm not talking little, I'm not talking little, I'm talking old enough to know what they're doing. And they were terrorists. They sat right in front of you, and I think you had some of the struggles I had. But in all of that, I never thought until just now, well, what, what do they need, Charles, instead of just going, what a bunch of animals. I didn't even think about what the need was there. And that's something we always have to watch out for, that the true need is what I've been up here saying. They need Jesus. Um, but that didn't cross my mind the four hours I was on that plane. Anyway. And I just want to say, because it's funny, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday because I have a wild child. He's three. And really, I mean, he is another one of my sons all over again. And he's hard. And... You know, I was telling this person, it's hard when people who don't necessarily know us or our family, but they see him and they make judgment on, why can't you control your child? But the point is, it's not that we don't try. It's not for lack of trying, because we sure do try every single day the best that we can. And often, once he's in bed, it's like, TJ and I sit down and we're like, uh, hallelujah. He's, he's contained and he's calm. But so... The other thought is not only pray for those children, pray for their parents because you don't know they could be trying, you know. And the flight attendants were interacting; they were kept getting on the microphone, telling, as reminding the passengers, looking at the children. <laughs> yeah, in this case, um, the parents needed Jesus. Too. They yeah. did. They, they really. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's the first yeah. thing because you think what what do the parents need to even know what to do in this case? Because sometimes it's it's I mean. You could have been safe for a long time, and you're looking at your child, and you're going, "What do I do? I don't know what to do with this child." Yeah, so I didn't mean to get too deep into that, but you, I could see very quickly that the kids were totally ignored. They were on their own, just bounce around, leave me alone. Was the kind of the attitude? So sorry, we had selfishness, selfishness. What other topics? And if it's selfishness, fine. So there's plenty of that going around. <clears throat> it depends on the age when you discuss, okay, so what do you do in a situation where your kid is around wrong friends? We had a coach homeschooling for 20 years, and that was not a huge 
issue because we were kind of in that homeschool bubble. Um, but our kids are in school now, so we do have to think about that. Fortunately, it's uh, still a Christian school, so it's still kind of, um, they're protected, I feel. But we have had situations where we're like, okay, so how do you deal with this? And in some situations, you just, um, depending on their age, you do. You don't ask them. You just remove them and say, no, you're not going to. We made a rule that um, we don't do overnights. I don't care who it is. We never do overnights. It just makes it easier. Um, but then I'm, I'm thinking about a situation when Jacob got older and started having some wrong friends due to the job he was working. Um, it motivated him. At first, I was concerned because there was, you know, some interaction. I'm like, no, no, no. But that motivated, I mean, we discussed it, and I said, well, where do you see yourself in five, ten years if these are the people that you're hanging around? And he was like, oh. You know, and and that kind of motivated him to think, okay, I need to do something with my life. This isn't the kind of people that I, I don't want to be like that. Um, so I think depends on the age of your kid if you remove them from it or pull back or let them make the decision. I mean, at that point, he was an adult, technically. He was 18. Um, but it it's kind of a touchy situation depending on, on their age. And obviously, if they're young, you, you have to protect them. You don't ask their permission. You remove them and protect them. But the older they get, it can sometimes motivate them. If you, if you talk to them and say, well, the question thing can be huge. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that one up because that one, and I agree, at, at certain ages, it's just, nope, you don't get to do that. But at some point, that has to be internalized. When do they stand on their own? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure if, there, if this is um, the middle of the road and this is like, you have every freedom in the world, I tend to be over here with my kids. Sorry, guys. Um, but I wanted to make sure that before they went into extended times without me, they were able to stand on their own as best I could determine. And they were also old enough to challenge even an authority if an authority was absolutely doing the wrong thing. Um, so my kids didn't go to the wilds until, what, eighth, ninth grade was the earliest. That's just me. I'm not saying don't go to junior camp. Um, I just wanted to know that they were, they were ready before they did that. Um, and, and then, and then that internalizing to you know, I think Proverbs is great there as well. You know, you want to be in the company of fools, you'll you'll pay the price, even if you aren't the fool. If you're in the company of them, you also don't want to teach them to to put a bubble around them because you're you're wanting to send them out as arrows that you want them to be in a lost world and know how to function and not be crippled and have to just you know go to Christian school and then live in a church the rest of their lives, you want them to, not that I'm, a Christian school is great, but. I say, I, I had, my two older boys were on football teams that were Christian football teams, and oh my goodness, they had to stand on their own. And teach them the difference between, you do need to have unsaved friends, you need to have people that you're influenced, I think about the Wolsifers, they do this so well, you know, they're out in their community, they're constantly involved with unsaved people, bringing them in to their family but in a, it, with an end goal in mind. And they don't have their, your intimate friends are different from your, your, your acquaintances and just making that difference with the, with the kids and don't so let them be afraid of Let me get to those two tables before people have sorry, to start peeling. Can I ask one quick question on yeah. this topic? How do you balance uh, in the Christian environment? You want them to be an influence, 
but yet they are still learning themselves where they're standing on some things and not having them be affected by them influencing others, but also they want to be accepted as a teenager. And so they're seeing other things and it's kind of like, oh, okay. So how do you do that balance? I'm going to let you answer that one because my personal challenge in my life was I was the lone wolf. I didn't, most of the time, didn't have to have anybody with me, and I didn't care what anybody else thought about what I was doing. So that wasn't a struggle for me. So I'm going to pass it to you. It was a huge struggle for me, and I, I, I wanted to be a Christian. The Lord really got a hold of my heart and helped me understand lordship when I was 17, but a lot of time had passed up until then in high school. And it, it was actually a sermon on um, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And it was about straddling the fence, having one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And you can't do it. It will tear you apart. It will just be a life of compromise. And my kids heard my story. They heard his story. They know that it can't be done where you're a shining light you know, for Christ. Um, you have to be willing to give up popularity. You have to be you have to be popular in God's eyes, not in the world's eyes, and that is really hard. But and that's another thing that you have to wait for God to do in their heart. Um, it, it, even Emma, she she said on this trip, she loves to have what she calls private talks with me. So she said, "Mama, I need to have a private talk." So we went to to have a private talk, and she said, "It's about my life." And I said, well, okay, what? And she said, my life is so hard. I said, well, what's wrong? I mean, this was so, she was so serious. And she said, all of my friends can run in church, and I can't. And they can go in whatever room they want to. And I just have to stand there. <laughs> and she was just heartbroken. And I said, well, why? And we, we went back about why do we not run in church? There are older people. We have, you know, all the things we've talked about. But she said, at the end of the whole discussion, she just said, I just think my friends have a fun life and I have a hard life. <laughs> and I said, I am so sorry that you feel that way, but we're going to care more about the other older people in our church than we're going to care about you getting to run. You can run in the playground later, okay? And it boils down to that. And we, even with our teenagers, we've said, I'm sorry that your friends do this or whatever, but while you're in our roof, we're feeding you and clothing you. And there are things that they will choose when they grow up and have their own family that may be different from yours. Ours have, and it's different, but I'm sorry. Sorry, let me get to the next two tables. And as I go to the next table, I gave that to Heather because that was her area. My area is a lone wolf. My issues are I can do this on my own. I can do it through my own power. And that's where God has to beat on me all the time. Eric, did you? Because I, I know he's going to probably well, leave we'll before anybody else. We, we didn't have. We were on rivalry, and we already had some good things that we said on that. Okay. Okay. I know you may have to run. Skip. Uh, for your question, um, if if you want to train somebody to win people to the Lord in their life, it's kind of like being being trained to be a lifeguard. The first thing that person has to understand is about themselves before they ever get in the water. They've got to know themselves first. Then you have to take them to the water and let them put their feet in. Then you let them go. It's a process. 
and getting to the point where they can swim, they can swim confidently, and now you're gonna reach over and you're gonna grab somebody who's totally out of his mind to save them. It's that kind of a process. And I think a lot of it really depends on how good of a job we do showing them what the water is. Because that's the fear. The first fear is, is putting your foot in the water. You know, then, and then all the other things that go with it. Um, but in my experience, that's what I've seen parents who, who do a good job like that. Really, their children uh, are able to comprehend the water really well. And then they can swim. And then they get safe. In your analogy, what is water? Hmm? In your analogy, what is the water that they need to understand? The, the world. world. The world, okay. Yeah, the world we live in. The, the, you know, the journey that God has put us on. This is, this is the world. Um, we talked about um, uh, selfishness as a, is that right? As a foundation. Um, but we really recognized as a group the um, importance of getting out of your comfort zone. Getting, going on mission trips, doing things that take the children to a place where now they can decide, you know, that it gives them that opportunity to, to, to decide in their minds about all sorts of things yep. as a way of, of building um, within the mind uh, good patterns so that you can make good, good choices and good decisions. Um, so that was really the... Okay, good. So I'm going to wrap it because we're late as usual. So my apologies. Let me, let me finish out with prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are sufficient for all of our needs. Give us wisdom as we interact with our kids, um, those that we have, those that may come, grandparents, kids in the church. Um, give us eyes for ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to glance.